Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. I, uh, we have received good instruction already on acceptance and I could put it in a nutshell also, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Now, it's important what you do say, that's important too. But just because we say the right things or that we don't say anything wrong doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> and I'm glad to be here. I had a pretty significant cold last weekend. But it, and I was getting better all week. Now it came back last night, but I am here. Though I'm not greeting anyone, but I'm glad to be here. I can't hear any of you's hardly. But I can see you and you're smiling and glad you're here. So why don't we, before we go into the message, begin, why don't we just stand, if you could, for a word of prayer, if you're able to. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you, Lord, for you continue to save souls. You bring people to their realizing of their need, that they are are sinners and they're in need of you, and you have provided the remedy. You have paid for our sins on the cross, and you have a, a pathway to walk. And we thank you, Lord, just pray, Lord, this morning as we, as we, uh, as, your, as your people, as we continue to walk and walk with you, that you would continue to guide us and instruct us, that we may walk in your way in a way that is pleasing, that we not only say the right things, but in the right way, and that we walk with you in a way that is pleasing with to you. So thank you, Lord. I pray you would bless the rest of this morning here with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. I like to talk this morning on the title of intentional living. Intentional living. Wikipedia says intentional living is any lifestyle based on an individual or a group's Conscious attempts to live according to their values and beliefs. These can include lifestyles based on religious or political or ethical values. Intentional living requires one to be aware of one's fundamental beliefs and be willing to make an effort to have their behavior reflect those fundamental beliefs and the the goal is is that one's behavior is consistent with one's beliefs a good verse that describes that now i don't know if you think what for verse describes that i had come up with one verse that describes it quite well james chapter 2 verse 18b Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And there you have a belief and an action that are consistent. We all live 
more or less intentionally. As humans created by God, we tend to function better if we actually have something to live for. If we actually have a purpose beyond the next meal or the next day, we have a greater purpose. We as humans, we're created. We function better when we actually have a greater purpose. I remember a man, you know him too, Rick Hess, many of you, as a young man at 21, if I, I this is what comes to my memory, at, at 21, he had, he purposed to be a millionaire by the time he was 30. Apparently, his fundamental belief was that money was the road to happiness and security and fulfillment, maybe acceptance. And he lined up his behavior to meet that goal. And then somehow, somewhere, God got a hold of him. And you know Rick Hess today, you don't think millionaire and Rick Hess. They two are about as far as you can get. He changed his fundamental beliefs and his behavior changed as well. Intentional living is not a Christian thing. It's a human thing. People have all kinds of fundamental beliefs. The world is warming drastically, so we need to minimize our carbon footprint. The powers of the world are out to get me, so I'm going to live in the wilderness or maybe a suburb and stash away a lot of food and ammunition. The world is running out of resources and out of landfill space, so we are going to recycle. There's actually an interesting story or uh, interview that I found of of a young woman. Her name was Florence. She was interviewed to explain that she produces basically no trash. All her trash in the last two years that she has, that she had to throw away, would fit in a pint jar. Everything else, everything she uses, she either uh, reuses or recycles or composts, composts. So each week she walks to her city composting collection and she puts her composting in. And on the way home, she might stop at the coffee shop and give them her jar to fill up with coffee. She lives intentionally. She knows her fundamental beliefs and she's passionate about that belief. She's willing to put forth effort to have her behavior reflect that belief. The belief is that the world is running out of resources and out of landfill space, and we need to recycle. And she has a behavior that is consistent with those beliefs. Now, what does that have to do with us? Well, much in every way, we have fundamental beliefs, don't we? Of course we do. We are called to put forth effort to have our behavior reflect those beliefs. 
and to have behavior that is consistent with those beliefs. Which means we, as God's people, are called to live intentionally. And so I want to explore that topic this morning. And the first thing we want to do, well, first of all, what is our fundamental belief? What are we going to base our behavior on? And for that, you can turn to Isaiah 53. And we'll look at one one verse. We're talking about our fundamental belief. Isaiah 53, 6. Now, this is a prophecy of Isaiah about the coming Lord Jesus. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Now, this is a similitude that the culture of Israel, of, uh, of Isaiah's day, understood well. Israel had shepherds. I mean, you can go the whole way back to Abraham, and I'm sure, oh, yeah, back to Abel. <laughs> And you can go the whole way up where the shepherds were the ones who were announced the birth of Christ. Shepherds were a part of Israel. And so you had sheep. But it's a similitude. We aren't sheep. We are like sheep. We are all like sheep. Adam was the first sheep. And he went astray. And now all sheep after him went astray. And there's none exempt. We have, going on with the verse here, we have turned everyone to his own way. And now the, the, the subject changed from a corporate similitude of sheep to personal. We have every one of us personally. So we're not only, we've all turned to our own way. Now, not only a part of Adam we have individually made a choice and we have made individual choices and we have individually gone astray. We have sinned and turned away from God and our own way. And going on with the verse, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The essence of sin is going our own way rather than God's way. And that iniquity needed to be punished. So the Lord laid that punishment for that iniquity, not on the sheep that deserved it, but on the servant who died in their place. That's the Lord Jesus on the cross. And why am I delving into this in a message about intentional living? Because true, effective, consistent, intentional living requires a solid foundational basis. Florence Singer does what she does not because it is a fad. Well, maybe a little bit. She doesn't do it because it's something her friends do. There's no law requiring her to do it. There's no penalty for her failing to do it. There's no financial gain for her to do it. It takes more time and planning. It's inconvenient. But she does it 
because she believes it. True, effective, consistent, consistent, intentional living requires a solid fundamental beliefs. And the fundamental belief and experience we need to have is in that verse in Isaiah. We are fallen humanity. Every one of us are sinners. And Jesus took our deserved punishment on himself. And that's the foundation a few more verses to uh, to bring it out a little more clearly as we're developing the foundation. And then second, you don't have to turn here. In Second Corinthians five fourteen and fifteen, I'm going to read in the paraphrase. Since we believe that Jesus died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died. For everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ. You see a little bit of intentionality here? You will no longer live for yourself. Instead, you will live for Christ. I will no longer live for myself. Instead, I will live for Christ. You will not do what you do because it's a fad or because your friends do it. There's no law requiring you to do this. There's no penalty. Well, not now. There isn't any penalty for failing to do it. There's no financial gain for doing it. It takes more time and planning, and it's inconvenient. But you live for Christ because of your fundamental belief that he died for you and that you died to yourself, and now you live to Christ. In this context, we also have this well-known verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so you could say, well, okay, some people say your nature is changed. And that's right. You're no longer a caterpillar. You're no longer walking around in the dirt, eating leaves, and being a pest. You're no longer doing that. You have been metamorphized, metamorphosed and through the, the stage, and now you are a butterfly. And you can fly around, and you drink nectar from pretty flowers, and you're no longer a pest. Everything is new. you no longer stuck to the earth, and you no longer eat what you did. And you can get the idea this happens automatically. I mean, a caterpillar won't be a butterfly, and a butterfly will not be a caterpillar. You cannot interchange it. And I have to remember, that is an allegory. It's a similitude. It's not exactly right. A, a butterfly's new life is spontaneous. Our new life, not quite as much. That's why we have exhortations and warnings given to us to live consistent with our new nature. And here's a few. Uh, 
Colossians 3, 1 and 2, very familiar. If ye then be risen with Christ, that we're talking about. We're risen with Christ. We died to ourselves. We're risen with Christ. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. So if you are a Christian, died, buried, and raised to a new life, and you become this new creature, then you need to, though, intentionally pursue. Every one of us, and there's none exempt here, if you're going to walk with God, you are going to intentionally need to pursue it. And if you don't, you will not succeed. Our lives need to be dominated by the pattern of heaven bringing heavenly direction to our earthly duties. And Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let's also walk in the Spirit. And there's probably the clearest directive is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? In other words, you have the Holy Ghost which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The fundamental belief, your body and your spirit belongs to God. All who are in Christ should no longer live for themselves but for him who bought them. It's that yielding up of our own will and our own purposes and our own desires and pleasures and goals and living for God. Absolutely. That's my time. It's my money. It's my resources. It's my gifts. In two years' time, all that I do contrary to that should be fit in a pint jar. That's intentional living. This morning, I want to give some encouragement to us as God's people to live consistently as God's people, as, as people God owns and as his purchase. So I want to bring an encouragement and I want to bring a challenge to us. And this topic is so huge that... Each one, I have three points, and each one of the points could be a message in itself, and it could be much more than three points. And so if, if, you, if you sense gaps or issues or places I have missed, um, yeah, it's going to be that way. So we are called to live. Okay, yeah, and I want to just, it's enough. I, I'm giving you enough, though, for us to realize what this means and to consider the challenge that comes our way, I think we'll get enough challenge this morning. And to provoke personal thoughtfulness and maybe some group discussion. But I won't touch it on every angle. Okay, we are called to live consistently with our fundamental beliefs in our wealth, our activities, and our community. That's the headlines I have chosen to put it in. 
Wealth. Let's talk about our lifestyles. We live in the U.S., and I've seen that some of you came back to the U.S., and it's, it's different here than it is in Tanzania, I think. We have enormous affluence, whether it's real, we have it, or whether it's potential. We don't have it, but we have the potential for affluence. We have more choices and more freedom than any society had ever had on the face of the earth. And we have connection to the broader media via by a scale that is undreamt of by anybody in history. Some contrast, the early church consisted, I understand, about half of slaves. There was not as much affluence or freedom there. There was a medieval king, and I could not find him. I had read it somewhere in the past, and I, I tried to get more records, but I, I couldn't. But it was a medieval king who really splurged on his food, and he had, if my memory comes to mind, he had 413 different food choices he could choose from at any given time. 413 different choices, and of course his subjects in that kingdom probably had, well, sometimes only several, depending what season was, and berries and whatever they had, they might have had a dozen. But they basically, here's this extravagance. And you know, you can walk in a grocery store, and every grocery store, and you have several thousand choices all year round. Just to give you an idea of what we're talking about, about our affluence. I remember a reading as a youth uh, in the, probably the daily paper, I guess. This is when the USSR was still hadn't fallen yet, and so there was still the communist government and the Iron Curtain. And there were some visitors came from the USSR to, to Lancaster County. And they were, they were shown around. And then someone, I guess probably a reporter, asked them, well, what, what do you think? You know, and they were thinking, you know, the rural landscape, the, the tidy farms, you know, it's a very unique area, Lancaster County. Back then, before they had 100,000 more people now than they do then. And they said what is most astounding to them is going into a store and seeing aisles and aisles and aisles of well-stocked, huge variety of merchandise, whether it's food or whether it's consumer products. That's what amazed them the most. They didn't have that over there. That's what stood out to them. Most humans, historically, Leisure was a rare luxury. Toiling from dawn to dusk was the lot of life for almost all men and women and children. Now, I know even a rural setting that you had your seasonal times and you had your off and on, but it, people had a lot less leisure time. It was the onset of the second industrial revolution in the, in the last, last part of the 1800s, and the division of labor with its regimented hours that changed that. And for the first time in normal history, the average individual is free 
from the constant struggle of survival. So we have easy wealth, we have access to free time, and we have almost unhibited freedom. And this brings unprecedented opportunities and challenges. Jesus did not speak very highly of some wealthy people. Luke 16, we're talking about living intentionally with our, with our fundamental beliefs. Luke 16, 13, Jesus is talking here and he says, No man can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the Pharisees were listening and they were covetous. They loved their money and they scoffed at him. They derided him. And then this is Jesus' response to them. Jesus told them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Wealth, affluence, and money, and power. This is highly esteemed among men. This is what the world craves for and what the world honors. And it's also what God detests and hates. And so, in our environment of consumerism and wealth and affluence, we need to address this issue. So I'd like to do that some more. Luke 16, 19 to 21. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Of course, if we keep on reading there, we find that they both died and Lazarus went to heaven. And the rich man was in this place of torment. It doesn't say exactly the reasons why. Not all poor people go to heaven. Not all rich people go to hell. But I'd like to bring some things out here. The rich man who dined sumptuously every day. Is he condemned for dining sumptuously or for ignoring Lazarus? What do you think? Is there a connection? The rich man, living it up, expensively dressed in the latest fashions, spending his days in conspicuous consumption. What would intentional living look like here? Well, we have the example of our Lord Jesus. 
in 2 Corinthians 8 to 9, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be, might be rich. Of course, talking about the, not talking about financial, we're talking about just the entire scope of spiritual things there. And so, but it's, it's the heart there. We also have 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Charge them that are rich in the world that they be not high-minded, neither trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they, these rich people, do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may hold, lay hold on eternal life. And right here, you actually see the difference, what God tells us what to do, unlike the rich man who didn't do that. He didn't lay up a good foundation for the life to come. And he failed, and he missed it. And so I want to talk a little bit about our lifestyles. Maybe we need to be challenged. Maybe we are more informed by our culture than we are by the Bible. At a wedding meal some months ago, I sat across a table from a lady uh, who was clearly trying to get her husband to be moderate in his eating. He was a little uh, overweight. And I told I mentioned to her somewhat lightly, well, now a wedding is a time to feast. You know, there's a time to feast and there's a time to fast. And it seemed to me like a wedding is a time to feast. And she said, you ask him when he fasts at last. Okay, what was I to say? So, dining sumptuously. Fine. There's a place for that. But every day, do you find that in the scripture as an ideal for God's people? And so, when did you fast last recently? If you would inherit $250,000 from a rich uncle, tell me about it. No, no. <laughs> Nobody should know that you got that money in a sense that you, your lifestyle should not change because you got a quarter of a million dollars. Now, maybe you wouldn't have to work as much or maybe some things would change. You would have definitely more to give. You have maybe more time to serve. There are various things you could change. But one of them that shouldn't change is your lifestyle. <clears throat> You shouldn't go out and buy a late model luxury SUV. Luke 12:32-34. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have and give alms, provide yourself bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heaven that faileth not, where no thief approaches. 
neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. One of the realities that exist and one of the values that we are to have is that we are here temporarily. We're not going to stay and we're not owners. We're actually stewards. We're not residents. We're foreigners. We're strangers and pilgrims here. Our true citizenship and our true home is in heaven. That's our lasting. That's our permanent home. And our choices should reflect that. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wistful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And there you have in poetic song the exact truth of Scripture. Yes, we need things here. And yes, we need to use things. We have our, we, 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 we need to operate. And, and I'm not giving you exact detail. I'm giving you what I want to put in our minds is we have fundamental values. Our behavior should line up with that. And that is we are strangers and pilgrims here. That is our treasures are over there. The way to put your treasures over is to do good works, good deeds, give money, that kind of thing. And that is our behavior should be consistent with that rather than our lifestyles. What do you think if I would be a financial advisor and I would not advise you to what brings you good returns? I could be a prosperity preacher here and tell you that you will be prosperous in this life if you do whatever. That is a horrible financial advisor because the focus is entirely here. Well, not entirely, but mostly here, and it's wrong. Or if I, as a counselor, would not explain to you what kind of heart and actions that your spouse loves so that you can have a good relationship, what kind of counselor would I be? So we are here to glorify God, to build the kingdom, to assist people in their distress and need, and not to live it up. And we are to do that intentionally. And I'm speaking to myself. Activities, it's the second one. Wealth has to do with our money, our possessions. Activities has to do with our time, especially our discretionary time. They're connected, and yet they're distinct. Uh, Wiki says recreation is an activity of leisure, with leisure being discretionary time. And this is, again, just right out of Wiki, said the need to do something for recreation is an essential element of human biology and psychology. Recreational activities are often done for enjoyment, amusement, or pleasure, and are considered to be fun. All people need recreation. Don't forget the word recreation in there. 
It's essential for our mental, our spiritual, our physical, and our social well-being. It is good for a married couple to have a date night or a time away. It is good for the family to go camping or other trips together. It is good for the church to take a weekend away together. It's recreation. It's recreation. Some people have a wartime mentality. That the idea is I belong to God. All of me belong to God. The time is short. The need is great. I have no time for diversion or distraction. I'm going to whole hog give myself to this purpose. No time off. And that is detrimental to both individuals and families. It's not a good thing. It's not a good long-term strategy. It's an extreme. I know there are certain times where you need to do that in short periods of time when there's emergencies. And there are sometimes war times and you need to do that. But not as a good long-term strategy. But that's not It's very common. What is more common in our day is the vacation version of the rich man who dwelt sumptuously every day. That our leisure activities are chosen for the pleasure and the entertainment and thrill value that they bring. Remember, we live in America. We live in a playground recreational activities become a lifestyle. They consume our precious time and resources and they replace true kingdom activities. Our guidelines that we have as a congregation says our leisure and recreational activities should be consistent with our kingdom Christian values of humility, sacrifice, and modesty. The world's entertainment diminishes a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Excuse me. The Christian values, talk about recreation, Christian values of humility, sacrifice, and modesty. So recreation is essential, and intentional living means you choose that Recreation, which is consistent with your fundamental beliefs. The value of humility. So if we value humility, I'm just going to, I was trying to think of examples, but I'm going to pull one out. If you value humility, will you go to a professional sports game to observe those humble players compete with one another? Or the kind of shows that aggrandize human achievement. I, to be careful how you place all that. But we value humility. We value, the opposite of that is pride and arrogance and lifting oneself up. So our recreation should be consistent with God's value of humility. <clears throat> The value of sacrifice, this is the second one in that guidelines, means the expense and the frequency of our recreation will be moderate. We are stewards. 
The goal is not luxury or phenomenal experience. It is social and spiritual and physical recreation. It can also be educational. It can be instructive. It can broaden our experience, our perspective, our outlook. Those are all valid recreations and doing things that enrich our lives in various, various ways. But not for a luxurious or phenomenal experience. And the value of modesty will cause us to avoid places of undress and vulgarity. The publicly occupied pool and beach is off limit for an intentional Christian, as are restaurants and other venues that specialize in the nightlife culture. Now, one thing I observed in our day is increase in the socialization at a third place. We have shifted somewhat from a home-based visit to a third-place visit. Not my home, not your home, but somewhere else. It's the rise of the restaurant, the coffee shop, or rather than coming over for an evening visit, to go to some local place of paid amusement. This is only possible because of our affluence. People go less into other people's homes. They may not even get into other people's homes. The meeting place has become some kind of public venue, eating or drinking, uh, eating or playing or shopping. I, for one, don't think this trend is good. When I'm thinking of a trend, I'm thinking of where trends go. Okay? This kind of activity tends to enculture us to the surrounding society. It moves us towards enculturation. And at the same time, it weakens our own identity and culture. Two things happening at the same time, strengthening one, weakening another. And it sets the trend for that to be accelerated in the next generation. So I have a plea here. It is okay you go to a restaurant. It's, I, I, it's, those are fine. I'm seeing a trend and if the trend continues, I don't see good things. So I put a plea here. If you have some values and you know that this enculturates and it weakens your own identity and culture and, 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 it, and it strengthens the enculturation, make some intentional choices to counter this trend. That's what I'm asking. We had the rise of the house church. And sort of become, well, it's been actually around a long time, but it comes in waves. Maybe we need the rise of house visits again. <laughs> How's that? So that's my uh, putting the fundamental beliefs in the area of uh, activities. Okay, number three is the area of community. 
As a people of God, we believe two things. More than that, but we believe two things. I am responsible for my brother, and my brother is responsible for me. That statement, am I my brother's keeper, was not a question. That was a, an attempted defense. Matthew 18, 6, But who shall shall offend one of these little ones which, believeth in, which believe in me? It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Romans 14:21 It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. And 1 Corinthians 12:25 to 26 that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Intentional living opens itself up to its brothers and sisters. It asks these questions. What do you think of how I spend my money or time or how I dress, etc.? And you say, well, that's none of your business. I will do what I think is right. I became aware of a song that was written by the CCM culture. I did not hear the song. I did not know about the song. I was became aware of the song by the backlash that the song generated. It's a song that was written by a CCM songwriter, artist, a father. And he wrote this song to his daughter. He had a, I don't know, she's, I think, in her teens. He wrote this song to his daughter, and he put it out for the public to listen to. In the song, he instructs and encourages his daughter to dress modestly. The standard that he portrays is pretty far from where we would be, but nevertheless, he does bring the home point home clearly that there are ideals she should pursue and that there are some things she should avoid in her attire. The backlash of the song was hugely greater than the song itself. Such it was such extreme criticism that the songwriter took the song off the web, and now you cannot hear it. It's not on there anymore. This song of a father to his daughter, um, giving her instruction how to dress. And what was the backlash? Well, you can't tell a girl what she may wear or not wear. You are making her an object of men. It's the problem is men's minds, not what a woman wears. The real right of a woman or anyone, basically, is to have uninhibited self-expression. And don't take that away. And that father was taking that away from this daughter. 
And that's coming from the Christian world, okay? It's not the unbelievers. I'm sure some of that was coming in, but it's coming from the Christian world. Self-expression is my right. I will express myself as me. I am me, and I will express myself as me. And that, what happens in the greater Christian world, tends to have some kind of filtering down effect into our culture. Expressing oneself is the call of the modern culture. Christianity is a call to die to oneself, not a call to express oneself. Like the proverb says, my son, give me thine heart. My son, give me thine heart. That is intentional. Giving your heart, opening your heart to your brothers and sisters will have an effect on your life and your lifestyle. Independence is not a Christian virtue. I know that you have to sing of standing alone. I understand that, but we're talking about something totally different. I have had people, I had someone come up to me and ask me already, they were considering buying a, another vehicle, but it was this certain color, and they weren't quite sure if it was okay. So they asked for advice. They opened themselves up. What do you think? I didn't ask for it. They were intentional. Even if you're okay with what that question mark is, what do you think it would do for your trust of this brother or this sister who comes up to you and asks, I'm considering something like this. Do you think it's okay? That Consideration and openness increases trust level immensely. I know someone else who bought a house and afterwards was convicted about the style of house. And oh no, oh my, now, oh my, what do my brothers think about this house? And he asked, do you, what do you think? Is it okay? Do you think we should keep it? And they opened themselves up. Are you okay with this? There's others of us who know what we want, and we go and we get it without input, without consideration. Maybe we even know or sense some in my congregation struggle with it. That's tough. That doesn't matter. I know what I want, and that's good enough. I'm okay with it, and that's good enough. So you may not feel very close to some people in your congregation. There's many reasons for that. If you're, if you're not as close as you'd like to be, there's many reasons. You can never take a problem and never. <laughs> Usually you cannot have a one-dimensional answer to any problem. There can be various reasons why we're not feeling close to people in our congregation. But this 
one might be one of them. Could very well be. In fact, quite likely is. Try once asking your fellow congregants about things like this in your life and see if you don't actually achieve some more closeness. Now, some of these things, talking about making your own choices, we, we do intentionally. We, we know or we sense others are displeased, but we do it anyway because we want to do it. But there's other things we do that we have no idea. Don't assume it is always the other person's fault when you feel distance. Maybe it is how you are, how I am actually portraying myself. Intentional living opens itself up to its brothers and sisters. And it asks questions like this. What about my clothing, my grooming, my car or truck or my house decor or my recreational activities, my associations, my speech, my hobbies, my spending habits, my vacations, and on and on. Opens itself up. Are there areas you find objectionable? Does some of the things I do or have cause a struggle for you? Do you see some objectionable trends in my life that I might not see? I think it's time for a little more. What what good is a preacher if he doesn't occasionally step on our toes, right? What, what what do you want from a preacher? Do you want from a preacher someone who will always tell you what to hear, what you want to hear, and tickle your ears? Or do we want to be stepped on? I'm stepping on my own toes. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> We have a standard in courtship. It's a hands-off courtship. That standard is very intentional. It is intentionally given. It is intentionally followed. And it has an intentional outcome. Purity till marriage. What if we would be as intentional in opening up ourselves to each other, caring what each other thinks, feels, struggles with, intentionally avoiding things that tear at the fabric of community, of brotherhood, and intentionally choosing the things that build and edify and pull us together. Romans fourteen nineteen. let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. There is a motto that says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. As we go through life, And as we make decisions, let's make decisions 
that will last. And that is exactly intended to be the gist of this message, that we stop making decisions that will wash away at the end of our life and make decisions that will last. And Matthew 25 was read a little bit this morning, and it's a separation of the sheep and goats. And uh, Brother Bobby didn't read the whole section, but we're familiar with it. Both the sheep and the goats seem surprised at their at their judgment that was given to them. Well, when when did we do this to you? Or when didn't we do this to you? <clears throat> and so we, each one of us, are doing lots of things that we have even no idea what we're doing. And and they and when when we're when our hearts are changed and we care about people and we reach out to people and we curtail things that we could do the American dream curtail that and put our energies into the kingdom and we may not even be aware that we're doing it, we just know it's our heart, we love it, that's what we want to do. And and it's done for Christ and it's gonna last. Then there may be other times we, or maybe predominantly, that we're not aware, that we're living for self. We're living for what we can get and the pleasure we can get and enjoyment we can get. And we're not aware of it. But the judgment will reveal that. You see, God is good. Because he gives us an open book test. It's not like you you learn lessons, you learn lessons, and you close the books, and now we're going to give you a test. God says, here's the book. This is how I will judge. This is what I will do. This is how it is. Open book test. What's so hard about that? Except we need to die to ourselves. Live for the Lord. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So this morning, on the area of wealth, activities, and community, let us live intentionally. Let's have each of our decisions line up. What we do, day by day, line up with our fundamental beliefs. Because we have been salvaged. We now belong to God. He has us here as stewards, as ambassadors. This is not our real permanent home. We are together here for each other. We have a permanent home coming. And so let's live that way intentionally. So may God bless you. And I say, yes, come to me when you see areas in my life. And and let's, let's bless each other. God bless.